morning, Rocky Peak. Great to see you. My name's Michael, and I'm one of the pastors here. If it's your very first time, a special welcome to you, whether you're inside the worship, worship center, you're joining us outside uh, on the patio. Uh, we are going to go into our time of teaching here in just a minute, but uh, before we do that, just one quick announcement. You know, every month, um, almost every month, Lynn and I uh, host a, a dessert here at the church at Rocky Peak that's uh, called Next Step Desserts. So it's really designed for those of you who are, are fairly new, trying to figure out, you know, like if it's the right church for you or whatever. Uh, so it's a great time for Lynn and I to share a little bit of our story, hear a little bit of your story, and then talk about the, our, our vision, our values, and our strategies. This is a great night together. And the reason I'm announcing it is that normally this kind of books up pretty early. Uh, but next Saturday night, we have our next next step. We actually have some openings. And so I wanted to offer that to you. If something that, that fits uh, you'd be interested in, you just go online to our website, click on the next step dessert, and then uh, register there. And then we'll look forward to, to seeing you. So we are going to go into our time of teaching now. So if you've got your programs, uh, like Reed said, and I'll pull them out. And if you guys are ready to go, I'm ready to jump in. You guys ready to go? Okay, let's pray. God, we're just excited to be here and just so thankful for, for this place, your house, where we can gather and come together as a church to pursue you together, to experience you in worship, uh, to hear your word, and most of all, to be listening for the voice of your spirit in each of our lives as together we figure out the path forward. And so, Lord, we pray as we continue this series today, such an important passage of Scripture, we pray you'd speak to us with power, with authority, with clarity, with encouragement, and then that we would go out, and as always, we would listen and then follow. We pray this in Jesus' name. Everyone said, Amen. amen. Well, our story starts today late in the evening, and actually, each of the men in this room has come with high hopes, uh, big expectations. Um, life is going well for them, and they, they expect the future uh, to be bright. But honestly, the longer the, this evening goes on, uh, the more discouraged they're becoming. It's not just what's happened during this event, it's, it's the things that have been shared. And it's not like just one thing, one piece of bad news, it's three pieces, and they've come in successive blows, like, like hammer blows, one after another. And though they came in with high hopes, I mean, each of these men are devastated. They're, they're confused, they're bewildered, they're discouraged, they're not sure what the future is going to hold. And looking back on this night, they will all describe it as the greatest crisis in their life. Well, today we are continuing a series that we've been in called Signs. And for those of you who are brand new, a uh, special welcome. But this is a series about Jesus. It's actually an in-depth look at the life and teaching of Jesus as seen through the eyes of one of his closest followers, apostles, disciples, a, a man that we call John or the Apostle John. And uh, if you've been with us uh, the last couple of weeks, you know that we've just entered into the second of three kind of mini-series or sub-series in this larger series of signs. And this one's called Signs the Path Forward. And we'll be in this series to the end of this year, um, but this, this series in real time covers just a matter of hours. This last night that Jesus was with his men uh, at the Passover meal, uh, the night that he's later going to be arrested and then executed the next day. And so, um, and, and so as I shared in the opening story, uh, that, that as this dinner opens, these men come with high hopes. 
Uh, they, they seem to believe that Jesus is about to uh, take the power that has turned water into wine, that has raised the dead, that has stilled the seas, calmed the storms. He's about to take that supernatural power and unleash it on Rome and usher in the golden age of Israel, a time of unprecedented peace and power and prosperity. And so they're excited about that. But, but, but during the evening, things have gone completely uh, downhill. Uh, first, Jesus has uh, started by in the middle of the Passover dinner. You'll remember this from a couple weeks ago. He stripped down like a common slave, got to the corner, picked up a basin and towel, come back and, and, and horrifying all of them, began to wash their feet as if he's a common slave. And then he challenged them that as they move forward in this movement, that this was going to be the sign that they were truly his disciples, that they would love one another and serve one another in this way, in the way that he's served them. But then it goes from bad to worse as he be begins to deliver these three successive hammer blows that I referred to in this opening story. And so if you have your Bibles, you have your apps, let's go ahead and open up and turn on. We're going to go to John chapter 13 and see what happens. So John chapter 13, there in your note sheet, there's a section called Signs the Crisis. We're going to pick it up in verse 36. So as we open the scene here, as we open the story, uh, Jesus has already delivered his first hammer blow. His first piece of bad news is that one of them, one of the 12 disciples, this band of brothers that's been traveling together for the last two or three years, that have shared meals, camped out together, know each other's families, kind of loved one another, served one another, uh, Minister with Jesus, healed the sick, freed people from demonization. They, these people, that they're so close that one of, their, one of their own is actually going to betray him to the authorities that they all know is out to kill him. Uh, this would be like someone in your life group that's been together for several years, suddenly turning you all in, right? Suddenly uh, betraying all of you. And so they're, they're devastated by this. And so Jesus has already shared that first hammer blow. But in verse 36, we pick up the second hammer blow. And Jesus has just told them that he's going to leave. He's about to leave, and they can't go with him. And so Simon Peter asks him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus says, where I'm going, you cannot follow now, but you'll follow later. Now, again, we need to hear this with first century ears. If you're a follower of Jesus here or even if you're not yet a follower, chances are you know how this story is about to go. That by the end of this evening, Jesus is going to be arrested by the authorities. He's going to be taken into custody. He's going to be beaten and tortured. And the next day, he's going to be put to death for high treason against Rome. Three days later, to everyone's surprise, completely outside their paradigm, he's going to come back, rise from the dead, be with them for 40 days. Then he's going to send to return to his father with the promise that one day he will return. Now, chances are you kind of know that basic outline of how this is going to unfold. But what I want you to catch is they don't know that. There is nothing in their first century Jewish mindset that allows for the Messiah to come and then to leave. In the first century, the, the Jewish mindset is Messiah would come, he would conquer the Roman Empire, he would usher in this golden age for Israel that would never end. These men have left everything to follow Jesus. They put their businesses on hold. 
They have left their families behind. They have traveled with him last two or three years because they believe he's the Messiah, which means that he's going to conquer Rome, kick them out, usher in this new era, an era of new, unlimited, like uh, uh, unprecedented power, popularity, prestige. That's why they're following Jesus. And now all of a sudden he says he's leaving and they can't come. There's nothing in their paradigm to prepare them. This is disastrous, but it gets worse. And so Peter says, hey, why can't I follow you? Of course, he's thinking in terms of, you know, you've got a hideout somewhere. You know, things are getting hot here in Jerusalem. Like last time, you'll probably get a, get a hiding place. Uh, hey, it may be dangerous, but uh, hey, count me in. And so he says, why can't I follow you? I'll, I'll lay, I'm ready to die for you. And Jesus lowers the boom with, Third piece of bad news. Will you really lay down your life for me, Peter? Amen, amen. I tell you that before the rooster crows, before morning, you're gonna disown me three times. So the first piece of bad news for these men who've come into this dinner with high hopes, the first piece of bad news is one of the band of brothers is going to betray them all. Second piece, Jesus is leaving. They can't follow. And the third piece is, well, who's going to lead if you leave? It'd be Peter. Peter is the leader. Peter is the bravest. And he just told them that the person that they think would rise to the place of leadership is going to utterly fail. Like, this is not going well. They are depressed. They are bewildered. They are confused. Their whole world has been blown apart. And into that crisis, Jesus is going to begin to speak. So let's see what he says. Now remember in the, in the original Greek, I mean, there, there is no chapter divisions, right? So we're just going to go right. So, so here Jesus begins to speak to them and he says, do not let your hearts be what? Troubled. Now underline that word trouble, circle it or something. We're going to come back to it. It's an important word. We'll come back to it later. But he says, hey, hold men, hold on to your hearts. Like, I know your world's falling apart right now, but hold on to your hearts. He says, you believe in God, believe also in me. Now, this is an interesting verse because you can see there, there are two different phrases in the Greek. Uh, the way they put it in this version of the New International Version is a statement followed by a command. You believe in God, statement, followed by a command, believe also in me. What's interesting, though, is that in the Greek, and I won't go into the technical details, but in the Greek, both of these phrases could be translated either as statements or commands. So you could flip-flop the statement, flip-flop the command, you make them both commands, make them both statements. Um, that's why in the, in the 1984 version of the New International Version, which is actually my favorite version, like we have a more recent version here. It's more politically correct. I like the previous one. The only reason I don't use it here is you can't buy it anymore. And so most of you wouldn't have it, right? So, you know, then I, every time I'd read it, I'd be having to explain why it's different than what you're reading. So we just kind of gave in a few years ago and went with the current one. But, but if, uh, there in your note sheet, I put how in the 1984 version, this actually was stated. So it, said, it went like this, he said, do not let your hearts be troubled, same straight statement, but then he says, catch this, it's not one statement followed by a command, it's two commands. Trust in God, trust in me. I like that much better 
I think it's, it's more, uh, I think it fits the context better. But either way, what I want you to catch is that Jesus is challenging you. I know your world is falling apart. Hold on to your hearts. Trust God. Trust me. And now he begins to tell them why they don't need to be troubled. And he, he introduces a powerful metaphor. Now, if you've been here throughout this series, you know that in the Gospel of John, Jesus teaches through the use of powerful word pictures or metaphors. He uses these metaphors to describe important spiritual truths. So for example, in John chapter three, he tells the, the rabbi Nicodemus, in order to get in the kingdom, you have to be born again, right? In chapter four, to the woman at the well, he says, what you really need is living water. In chapter six, after feeding the 5,000, I am the bread of life. In chapter, uh, chapter nine, or chapter eight, I am the light of life. Chapter 10, I am the good shepherd. Uh, next chapter, chapter 15, I'm the vine, you're in the bread. So Jesus uses these powerful word pictures to teach important spiritual truths. And he's about to introduce one to help them understand why they don't need to be troubled. And, and what he's going to do, he's going to talk about the future. Now, of course, they don't understand how this is going to work, but he's going to talk about the future, and he's going to compare the future to a large house. Now, in the Roman world and in Jerusalem and so on, there were these large estates, right? So like I've been to Jerusalem underground, visited archaeological, these huge estates. Uh, I've been to Pompeii and been to these large uh, estates, right? And so these and so he's going to use this analogy of a, a huge, like, home or estate, Roman estate, and he's going to say, hey, in my father's house, there, there are many rooms. There's room for all of us. And, and I know you're really upset I, I'm going, but the reason I'm going is just to get things ready for you. So you all know this, right? When someone is coming to stay at your house, you need to get the room ready, not what Jesus says, yeah, I am going, but the reason I'm going is to get things ready for you. And then once they're ready, I'll come back and get you. Now, of course, we understand this, right? We understand that what Jesus is saying is, you know, from our 21st century perspective, or even when John wrote this, that he would have understood Jesus was talking about leaving, returning to the Father, and one day coming back. But remember, there's nothing in their paradigm for that. But he says, but, but he says, hey, I don't want you to be troubled and catch it. The reason is, this story is going to end well. Yes, I'm going away. Yes, it's hard right now, but I'm coming back. And so he, he launches in and he says, in my father's house, verse 2, there are many rooms. And if that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to, replay, to prepare a place for you? Uh, this also could be translated as a statement. I like that better. In fact, in 1984, that's how they did it. Now, today, I just wish I had my 1984. Uh, and we'll see it later. But in the 1984 version, it basically says, hey, if I'm going to prepare a place that's got many rooms, if, if that weren't so, then I would have told you. In other words, I, I'm leaving, um, but I'm coming back. And if I weren't coming back for you, if we didn't have a future, I would have told you a long time ago. But hey, we're in this thing together and this is gonna end well. And then he says in verse uh, 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 three, he says, so if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back, I'll take you to be with me so that you may always be where I am. Again, a metaphor, a metaphor about the next life, right? 
And so then he says to him, he says, and by the way, you know the, the way to the place where I'm going. Now, of course, they didn't have a clue. They think he's going out in hiding, some secret estate, you know, like Batman underground or something, you know? Like, and so they're, they're like, we don't know where you're going even. How can we know? I mean, even with Google Maps, you have to put in a destination to get the directions, right? And so Thomas says to him, one of his disciples, verse five, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? And Jesus said, I'm so glad you asked. And next week, we'll come back and see what Jesus says. Now, uh, today, what I want to talk about today is crises. You know, one thing I know about crises is we're either we've just, we're either we're in a crisis, <laughs> we've just came out of a crisis, or we're about to go into a crisis, right? And so, so what I want to talk to is about crises today. What Jesus says to them in the midst of their crises is, is they begin, as he's preparing them to take over his movement, hey, this is what you need to expect in your future. This is your path forward. And of course, what he says to them, he says to us as their followers, right? And so, so, so how do we respond to crises? And this is gonna have special uh, application today for some of the things going on in our culture today as well, not just our personal lives, but with our culture. And so what I wanna do today is I wanna highlight three principles that Jesus uh, kind of wants him to understand about this crisis that they're in. Then we'll come back at the end and ask a couple questions uh, for our lives. And so there in your note sheet, you have a section called Signs, How to Respond to a Crisis. So let's jump in. The first thing Jesus wants them to understand is crises will come. Your life, my life, crises will come. Now, I want you to go back in time with me to the first century, to this room, and I want you to put yourself in the place of these men. They have come into this dinner with very high hopes. They have come to this dinner with great expectation. They, they started this week on Sunday coming into the praise of the crowds. They're expecting that Jesus is about to unleash his power on Rome and bring in the long-promised kingdom of God. They're, they're coming into this with, with high hopes, and Jesus says, and then in three successive hammer blows, Jesus says, what you think is gonna happen is not what about to happen. And, and, in fact, you're, they're going through the biggest crisis of their life. It's their whole paradigm of how they think this kingdom of God thing is just being blown apart and with it, their lives. And so Jesus is telling them the truth about the future, that this is not gonna be easy. And, and not only is he telling them right now these three pieces of bad news, but over the course of this evening, he's gonna say, I know what you expect. I know that you expect that, that we're, the whole nation's gonna come to me when I release my power and everyone's gonna finally realize I'm the Messiah and you're gonna rise with me and you're gonna have the top positions of leadership in the nation. It's gonna be a time of unparalleled prosperity and peace and power, not just for me, but for you and for your families. And I, I have this amazing, but it's not going to be that way. And one of the things he wants him to understand as his followers moving forward is this is not gonna be easy that the, the nation is not gonna receive them with open arms. In fact, they're gonna be rejected just like he is. 
And one of his primary priorities this last night is to prepare them for a life of persecution that's coming. And we'll see this throughout this series, throughout these chapters. But I want to look ahead at, uh, there in your note sheet, just to one example in John 15. This is right after the I'm the vine, you're the branch teaching. Abide in me and you'll bear much fruit. And so then Jesus changes gears and he says, hey, if the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. Like if, I, I know you think you're going to be really popular. You're actually not. And if the world hates you, just remember, you're in great company. And he said, if you belong to the world, you know, you're, you're their value systems, then they would love you as, as their own because you'd be like them. But as it is, you don't belong to the world. I've chosen you out of the world. That's why the world hates you. And if they persecuted me, they will persecute you. So if you feel bad right now, it's going to get worse. Right? right? So in this last, Jesus is, is kind of, is marking a new path forward. They're going through a major paradigm shift. They think they're ready for the golden age of Israel. He's shifting gears. Like, actually, this is gonna be a challenge. Now, catch this. In this last night, he's, got, he's gonna give them, after he delivers the bad news, he's gonna give them a lot of good news. He's gonna tell them, I'm gonna be with you every step of the way. In fact, when I leave, I'm sending someone to take my place as your leader. His name is the Holy Spirit. He's gonna come, he's gonna bring my presence and the presence of my Father. We're gonna move into your house. We're gonna move into you and live in you. And he's gonna lead you, he's gonna guide you, he's gonna empower you. And you know what? Things are gonna be a little crazy, but I'm gonna give you the gift of my peace even in the midst of the storm. You're gonna experience my peace and you're gonna abide in me and I'm gonna abide in you and you're gonna have amazing fruit and you're gonna begin to experience my joy. The very joy that I have is gonna become your joy. So there's this, like, he's gonna, like, there's a lot of good news to come, but he wants them to understand this, this is not going to be easy. This time between his first coming and second coming is not what they expect. Uh, it's not going to be easy. And so I think this is so important for us as followers of Jesus to understand in both the macro sense of what we expect of life as followers of Jesus, but also in a very specific sense. So for example, as followers of Jesus, it's important for us to understand that Jesus has never promised that life would be easy. That is so important, right? That we live in a fallen world. You're gonna lose jobs. You're gonna be in accidents, right? There's gonna be things that happen. Sometimes your body is going to fail you. Uh, sometimes you're gonna go illness. Sometimes kids are gonna go off the rails. Sometimes relationships are gonna break down. Uh, somebody's going to face financial difficulties that, that Jesus has never promised it will be easy. He's promised to be with us and empowered, but he's never promised for it to be easy. But here's what I want you to catch. What this passage is focusing on is not so much what I would call these personal crises that we all go through in life. He's talking on a specific type of crises, which is the crises of persecution, and he says that I need you to prepare, as, as you move forward, you need to understand this is not going to be easy because the world is going to hate you. If they hated me, they're going to hate you. We stand together. And, and I think this is so important for us as followers of Jesus to begin to understand this, especially in this crazy culture that we're in right now. 
that we're in the midst of a culture that's losing its mind. Amen? It's becoming crazy. Like crazy. And you know what? It's becoming increasingly hostile to followers of Jesus. Have you felt it? Yeah, it's because, and we'll talk more about this later. But what I want you to understand is that for them and for us, he says, here's the way forward. I'm going to be with you all, but it's going to be, there's going to be times of crisis. It's going to come. It's going to happen. And you need to know that. I want to be very upfront with you, okay? Number two. The second principle is that Jesus focuses on the future. What we see in this passage is very interesting that they're in the midst of a crisis. They think they're on the verge of this incredible golden age of Israel. Right? That's what, they come into this night with that expectation. By this point in the evening, they are devastated. One of the 12, the band of brothers, is gonna betray them all. Jesus is leaving, can't go with us, won't come with them the one we've been following all these years, uh, the leader of our band of 12, Peter is going to fail him in his moments of greatest need. Their world is coming apart. And in the midst of that crisis, I want you to notice how Jesus challenges them. He basically challenges them by saying, hey, don't let your heart be troubled. Hold on to your heart, catch this, because we win in the end. Are you with me? That's what he says. Like he right away, this major crisis, what does he say? Hey, don't be troubled. Why? Because yes, I'm leaving, but in my father's house are many rooms. And if that weren't the case, I would have told you. I'm going, yes, but I'm coming back and we will be together forever. You thought it was gonna start now, but is it? Now, at the time, do they understand this? No. But catch this. Jesus often says things that we don't understand at the time. They, like a fine wine, grow rich over age. And it, after he left, and after his death, and after his resurrection, and after his, now it begins to come together. And he says, trust me, the future is bright. And this is one of the things that I've told you over the years. For those of you who've been here a long time, you've heard me say this many times. For those of you who are new, this may be the first time, but it's very important. And that's that it's impossible to understand the life and the teaching of Jesus apart from the framework of eternity. You know, to you and I, eternity is kind of a soft concept. Like, like, for you and I, like, if I were to ask, do you believe in the next life? I, I'm sure that almost all of us, if you're a follower of Jesus, well, yes, we do. But if I would say, do you live like it? Like, it, often it, it feels sort of like, well, we're not really sure what's going to happen. Yeah, we believe in it, but, you know. But for Jesus, the next life was so real. It was like uh, a person who's already been accepted planning to go to college, and they're in high school. It's like it's just the next thing. It's like the person who's in college studying for a career that they realize that their college is gonna last a few years, but then this career is gonna last them for a long time. For Jesus, the next life is so real. It's more real than this life. 
And because of that, he's, everything he says is in the light of that framework. And his teaching doesn't even make sense apart from that. So stop and think with me. Uh, I'm just giving you two or three examples and then once you put on these Jesus future glasses, you'll see it all over. But think with me in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, hey, if your right hand offends you, do what? Cut it off. If your right eye leads you into sin, what do you do? Pluck it out. Why? Because it's better to go into life maimed than to go to hell. Uh, see, his teaching always is against the backdrop the f that this life is short, next life is long, and therefore the mark of a wise person is they live for the next life. The mark of a fool is they live for now. Think of his story in uh, Luke chapter 12. He talks about a rich man who's got his barns are busting with all of his stuff, and he's got this really great harvest coming. He's like, I don't know what to do. Man. My, my barns are all full, you know? I'm already a billionaire. Like, what do I do? Yeah, <laughs> right, right. I come up with a new product. No, uh, and so he says, I, I guess what I'll do is I'll just tear down the old ones and build bigger ones. And Jesus says to him, you fool. Tonight, your soul will be required of you. So then who's gonna get all the stuff you've laid up? He says, he says, this is the way it is who someone lives financially is not rich towards God and what God's up to, you see? So his teaching is always, I wanna give you kind of the best example. And it's there in your note sheet, or at least I like this one the best, Matthew 16. Jesus has just recently told his disciples he's going to be arrested and killed. Of course, they don't get that. But in Matthew 16, he says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their what? Cross. Now, underline that word. Now, I tell you something. Your cross is not your arthritis. Your cross is not your mother-in-law. Your cross is not your rebellious son or your irresponsible brother-in-law. Those are pains of a fallen world. <laughs> but that's not your cross. A cross is an instrument of death. And what Jesus is telling them, if you're gonna follow me, you need to be ready to die for me. And then he goes on to tell them why. He says, whoever wants to be a disciple must deny themselves, take up the cross. Remember, he's heading to Jerusalem to be crucified and follow me. He said, for whoever wants to save their life like in other passages in this world, will lose it. You know, sure, you can avoid being put to death for me, but you're gonna lose the next life. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life, they'll find it. For what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? And then he says, for the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, talking about the end of time. And then he will reward each person according to what they have what? Done. So you see what Jesus is saying? He's saying, hey, only a fool would live this life for this life. It's like you, you could gain the whole world, but if you lose your soul, like, how foolish is that, right? So Jesus is constantly challenging us. 
They're like, in the midst of their crisis, their world is falling apart. He says, hey, you need to focus on the future. Yes, this is gonna be hard, but trust me, this is gonna end well. You follow me, right? Now, number three. The third principle is that faith is the path forward. It's really interesting what Jesus does. They're in the midst of their crisis. Their fear is sky high. They're being overwhelmed. Have you ever been overwhelmed by fear? No show of hands. Yeah, have you ever been, your fear is just overwhelming you. That's where they're at. Their future is blown apart. Their Messiah is leaving and not coming back. That's a bad day when your Messiah is leaving and not coming back. Your Messiah is leaving, your band is breaking them up, you're all gonna be betrayed, and your leader is gonna fail. Their world is blowing up, and yet Jesus challenges them, hold on to your heart. He says that the antidote for fear is faith. Faith is your path forward. But when we say faith, we're really talking about trust, trust in a person. There in your note sheet, the 1984 version, do not let your heart be troubled. Trust in God, trust in me. Jesus says, okay, so I know your world's falling apart. Here's the path forward, trust me. Faith is a path forward. Now, I told you earlier we're gonna delve into this word troubled. Let not your heart be troubled. And I wanna do that. And we're gonna do a little bit of Greek study here. Now, sometimes we do Greek study. It's just very peripheral. I'll just tell a quick word. We move on quickly. Um, but I want to delve into this one just a little deeper, all right? Because I, I think that this could actually, for some of you, will become part of your vocabulary. And so um, I want to talk to you about that word troubled. I want to spell it out for you so you can visualize it, um, kind of see how it's, So the word troubled in Greek is the verb tarasso, okay, tarasso. I just like the sound of it. And, and here's how it's spelled in English, T-A-R-A-S-S-O, okay? T-A-R-A-S-S-O, Tarasso. Now, if you were to look it up in uh, Koine Greek Dictionary, Dictionary in the New Testament Greek, uh, it would define Tarasso as to shake or to stir up. But when it's referring to a human being, it's talking about an internal shaking, an internal uh, being stirred up. It's, uh, think of it like a storm of the soul. Something deeply emotional is happening. There's like a storm in your soul. Now, it's interesting. For, let me give you an example. Do you remember when, uh, when Jesus walked to his disciples in the middle of the night on water? Remember that? And so they're there out at sea. They've been fighting the elements for hours. They're exhausted. They're soaking wet. The waves are going up and down. They look in the distance and they see someone walking towards them. They have no, you know, Jesus has never done this. They don't know he can do this. They assume it's a ghost. It's like a horror story. It's like you're living a horror story. And so they start screaming, right? And in, the, in Matthew 14, Matthew describes them. He says, uh, in the NIV, it says they were terrified, that's the word terrasso. They were terrassoed. And a second example. In Matthew chapter two, King Herod hears that this, this prophesied great king of Israel has been born. He sees it as a threat to his throne. He's already taken out several members of his own family who he thinks are planning a coup. He's already killed his favorite wife, right? He's already ki killed a couple of his kids. 
This guy's paranoid. And he hears this, this prophesied king has been born in Bethlehem. What does he do? He sends out his hit squad to kill all the young boys in Bethlehem, just so there's no chance. You know how Matthew describes his emotions at that time? He was tarassoed. That's why he did that. What's really interesting is that twice in this last week of Jesus' life, John says that Jesus was tarassoed. Back in chapter 12, I don't know if you remember this, but Jesus has ridden into Jerusalem on the donkey, the praise of the crowds. But soon after that, two of his disciples, Andrew and Philip, come up to him and they say, hey, there's some Gentiles looking for you. And if you're here then, you'll remember that this seemed to trigger something deeply in Jesus. The fact that the Gentile world was coming him, this is why he came to die for the world. And he, and he begins to come to grips with it's really here. And in John's gospel, he says he was, he was deeply disturbed in his spirit. The word is terrasso. The second time was earlier this evening, Passover, Passover, when Jesus has to tell his men that one of the band of brothers is the one who's gonna betray them all. It's very hard for Jesus to say this. And he says there in your note sheet, John 13, after he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit. And he testified very truly, amen, amen. One of you is going to betray me. That word for troubled, he was terrasso. I want you to think of what we're told in the other gospels, how after this dinner that John's describing, they go across the Kidron Valley, they go up to the Mount of Olives, the Garden of Gethsemane, and, and Jesus, we're told, is, is down on his face in the dirt. We're told in Hebrew, he's crying. He's crying out to God. He's got tears. He's, he's bleeding blood from his face. It, the, the pressure is so intense. He's calling out to God. God, will you, is there any, his father, is there any other way? Those gospels don't use the word terrasso, but that's a picture. And here's what I want you to catch. Jesus knows how to move through his fears. He knows how to put the storm in his soul down. And it's by trusting his father. And so now he's pointing the way to their future Hold on to your hearts. Do not let yourself be terrassoed. Trust in God. Trust in me. These men have been traveling with Jesus for the last two or three years. There's been many times they've confused by Jesus. Many times, but they've also seen Jesus do amazing things. They were there when he turned water into wine. They, they were there when he spoke a word and healed the son from 16 miles away. They, they were there when he healed the man who'd been lame for 38 years, the pool of Bethesda. They, they were there when Jesus put the, the mud on the eyes of a man born blind and healed him. They, they were there when he fed the 5,000. They were there when he walked on water. They were there when he said to Lazarus, come out after four days. Jesus says, I know your world is blowing apart. I know this doesn't make any sense, but you know me, trust me. The path to peace doesn't lead through the door of understanding. It leads through the door of a person. His faith is the way 
forward. And so these three principles, as he's marking the path forward, men, I know you're in crisis, and, and there's going to be crisis. This is not going to be easy. But secondly, I want you to know you need to focus on the future because this is going to work out in the end. And finally, in the meantime, the path to peace in the midst of this storm is through faith. Trust in a person, the person you know. Trust in God, trust also in me. All right, so this lays a foundation. Now, I want to ask us two important questions for our lives today. All right, so there in your note sheet, you have a section called Signs, Two Key Questions. Here's my first question. What is Jesus' challenge in your crisis? So I'm sure for some of us right now, we're in the midst of a crisis right now. Others of us just came out of one. Others of us will be going into one. But if you're in the midst of a crisis right now, what is Jesus saying to you? What's his challenge? We've seen how he challenged them. Hold on to your hearts. Trust in God. Trust in me. Focus on the future. This is going to work out in the end. He's going to continue to challenge them as we go through this series. As we've seen that sometimes the challenges we go through, the crises we go through are personal. But also, that Jesus said, as his followers, that some of the crises we're going to go through are due to persecution. And here's what I want you to catch, that as followers of Jesus, when we're in the midst of a crisis, we need to hold on to our hearts and lean into Jesus and to say, what's your challenge for me? Like, what do you want to say to me? What do I need to hear? And men and women, I think this is going to be increasingly important for us as we continue on this path, this cultural path that we're on right now in this crazy culture. I think that for, for all of us here, or at least most of us here, that we have grown up in a country of tremendous religious freedom, haven't we? One of the greatest countries, probably the greatest country in the history of the world in terms of freedoms that we've enjoyed. And so as followers of Jesus, in the midst of this culture, we may not look to the future uh, like the disciples did. Hey, we're about to enter the golden age. But, but I think for many of us, we have, we're completely shocked and surprised that what's happening in our culture right now is happening. It's like we, we just did not see this coming. Like right now, some of you are trying to figure out what to do with your kids in school. You're trying to be like, what is going on? We live in this crazy state where up is down and down is up. This crazy culture redefining good and evil. And what do I do with my kids? Some of you are, are teachers in the public school system, and you're trying to figure out, how do I follow Jesus and be true to Jesus when I'm being mandated to teach things that are, are completely opposite of who Jesus is and what his word teaches? Some of you are in the midst right now, uh, uh, you're in a workplace where what's being required of you is, is increasingly difficult to follow Jesus and do what you're being asked to do.
And in the midst of that, I don't know about you, but from time to time, I find my heart being tarassoed. You know, uh, a few weeks ago, I read a book, uh, just a little book. Uh, it was really good. It's, it's by, a, by a, a pastor that's well-known here in the States. I know, I know many of you listen to him because you often tell me you do. Um, but his name is Alistair Begg. And, uh, and he wrote a little book called Brave. And I'd highly recommend it. It's very small. Um, I would recommend you get it from our bookstore, but I made the mistake of recommending it last night, and there is no more in the bookstore. <laughs> but next week, next week we'll have more. If you can't wait till next week, Amazon, right? Uh, another billion. Uh, but it's a, it's a great book. It's really addressing this issue of as the cultural landscape is changing so rapidly, as our culture is becoming increasingly anti-Jesus, right? Anti-Judeo-Christian ethic. As things are like, how do we respond? And so he does a great little book, just a study of Daniel and how Daniel operated in exile in Babylon. And I, I'd highly recommend it. But early on in that book, there's a quote from Tim Keller, who's another, uh, you know, another well-known pastor in our country. But look what he says here. He says, we're entering a new era in which there is not only no social benefit from being a Christian, but an actual social cost. In many places, and I would put California at the head of that list, Culture is becoming increasingly hostile to faith and beliefs in God, in truth, in sin, and the afterlife are di disappearing in more and more people. Now, culture is producing people for who Christianity is not only offensive, of course, which it is, but it's incomprehensible. And, and in the midst of that, let me ask you, can you feel it? You feel it everywhere you go. You feel it in social media. You feel it in our schools. You feel it in our politics. You feel it in our corporate world. Everywhere you go, it's, it's coming upon us. And we are not prepared. We've grown up in this country where maybe we didn't expect golden age, but we expected freedom. And all of a sudden, it's come to the core freedoms of our culture that we've assumed will always be there are going away. And we're tarassoed. And in the midst of that, can I catch, now this one I just catch, in the midst of that, for you and I, we're gonna have to lean into Jesus like we've never leaned in before. And we're gonna have to tune our ear to his voice. What is Jesus challenging you? You're gonna to need to hear from him. You need to decide what to do with your kids. You have to decide. You're gonna to have to hear from him. You're, you're gonna to have to, is your, do you need to leave your job? Or do you need to stay in there and be as faithful as possible? I don't know the answer. You need to hear from Jesus. You need to hear from him what he's saying to you. More than ever before, 
that we have to learn to hear what Jesus is challenge us in the midst of this culture. And can I tell you something? I believe that many times what he's gonna be saying to you is exactly what he said to them. He's been saying, hold on to your heart. Don't let yourself get discouraged. Don't give in to fear. Don't give in to pessimism. Don't give in to bitterness. Don't give in to your anger. Don't give in to despondency. Lift your eyes. Remember who you are. Remember who I am. You trust in God. You trust in me. We win in the end. And we are going to need to hear his voice like we've never heard before. And that leads to number two. And the second question is, when and where are you listening to Jesus? And what I mean is, if I were looking at your calendar for this last week, not this next week, because you may change. Mm. What I want to know is, is, hey, if I look at your calendar this last week, when and where have you spent time with Jesus listening for his voice in the midst of this cultural crisis. You know, over the years here that we've often talked at Rocky Peak about this, what I call the three-legged stool model of spiritual growth, health, transformation, right? So, um, so for those who are new, um, it's, it basically compares our spiritual growth and health our transformation to like a three-legged stool. And of course, a three-legged stool, you need all three legs for it to stand. And in the same way, we need every, stu- every leg of this stool. And so let me just kind of walk you through quickly what each leg is. So, so leg number one is what I call large group assemblies, right? This is like, a, it's not just our weekend service, but it's time we gather in large groups together to pursue Jesus, to listen for his voice, to have his word taught, to encounter God in worship, to pray together. It's a, a critical part of our spiritual health. There's things that happen here that don't happen anywhere else. It's just, it's a unique, it's a unique thing that happens, right? Uh, the second leg is what, what I've called small groups. Now, for many of us, that's, that could be our life group, but for, it doesn't have to be a life. It might be another kind of group. But it's a group of people, that, a group of followers of Jesus. You get together on a regular basis to share your life, to read the word, to pray, to discuss your journey, to support one, encourage, challenge, hold each other accountable, take care of one another. We all need that, right? We need the smaller group. And then the third thing is what I call one-on-one time with Jesus, that, that we need to develop what I like to describe as a a regular uh, rhythm of relationship. Well, we're spending time with Jesus on a regular basis, one-on-one, where we're reading his word, we're letting his spirit speak to us through his word and directly, we're, we're maybe meditating on his word, we're memorizing his word, we are uh, processing our life with him in prayer, we're, we're partnering with him in prayer to bring about the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven, we're, we're, we're jotting down what he's showing us, lessons we're learning that we all need. So, so here's, here's what I want you to catch. As we move forward in this time of cultural crisis, this three-legged stool, all three legs are gonna be more important than they've ever been in the past. 
Now, I wanna talk to you for just a couple minutes about leg number one and leg number three. Not because small groups aren't important or as important, but just because we have limited time and these are the two that I feel like God's put on my heart to talk with us about. So let's talk about leg number one. Now, for some of you, this won't apply as much because you're already here, although I would guess that some of you here aren't always here. Um, probably sometimes you're online or sometimes you're missing or whatever. Same with those in the patio and so on. And so, so this won't apply equally to all of us, but I wanna talk with those of you, especially those who are participating in our service, weekend services online, right? So I'd go for those of you who are online, for those of you who are watching later in the week. And so, so here's, here's how it looks. It's like, if you were to ask me, do you think it's appropriate for some people who call Rocky Peak home to not be here at our weekends in large group gathering? I would say yes. I believe there are some people here at Rocky Peak who love Jesus, they would love to be here, but they have serious uh, physical health concerns or someone that they live with has those concerns. And catch this, they're not doing anything. They're not going out to restaurants. They're not going out to parties. They're not going to sporting events. They're not going to the kids' PTA thing, whatever, that, that they, they have this kind of a unique challenge and so you need to be very careful, right? And I, and I think for someone like that, it's so awesome that they can join us online and, and participate. It's a beautiful thing. So don't get me wrong. But I think there are probably many of us that during this season we've been, last year and a half, that we have gotten into the habit of not coming to church. And it's not because we can't. In fact, we're going out to restaurants. We're, we're going to our kids' gatherings. We're, we're going to watch sporting events. We're having parties or going to parties. So we've gone back to all those things, but we've not gone back to church. And so what, what's happened is that we've just gotten kind of lazy. Or what's happened is that we just, we just really like, 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 we just love like, like waking up on Sunday morning and reaching to our bedstead and picking up the croissant that our spouses brought us and then waiting, they come back from Starbucks with our coffee. We just kind of sit there with Michael and Dre watching, right? And, and so we've just kind of got into that, or worse yet, we, we just got tired of online and so we just started not going anywhere. And here's what I want you to catch and this is for all of us, is that as we move into the future in a culture that's falling apart and becoming increasingly hostile, here's what I want you to catch. It's more important than ever that we are together. That in this culture we're in, the price, I believe, is gonna continue to go up and we need to be together. So here's the thing. I am so thankful for technology and I'm so thankful in a season we were first learning about COVID and all of that. I'm so thankful that we had online to do. But here's what I should catch. For most of us, that time is over. Yeah. And we need to come home. Amen. Right? We need to be here. 
And here's why, because there's something that happens when we're together that doesn't happen online. When you're together, the people of God, and we're worshiping, and the Spirit of God is moving, it's not the same at home. When you're sitting here engaged, and there's no other something on your phone going on. Well, for some of you. Uh, and, and we're here, and we got our note sheet out, and we're get, there's something that's happening. We're creating space in our life for God to speak. Yeah. There's something that happens that doesn't happen in the same way. And so I just want to challenge you. Here's the thing. I think that if we think that, you know what, I'm still a follower of Jesus, and sure, I haven't gotten back in the habit of going to church, but I still love him, and, I, I, and, and you think that long-term that's gonna work? I'm gonna tell you that when you're a lone ranger, the enemy comes after you to pick you off. We need to be together. We are called living stones that are put together in the temple of God. We are called the body of Christ that makes a body. And we are embodied creatures. And we need to be physically together. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. Now, the second, the second uh, I want to talk about the third leg of this stool as well, this, this time alone with Jesus. Um, and, and I want to share something with you that's been kind of growing on me the last month that I, I just kind of want to make a big statement here, all right? So you are here. When you were here the weekend, I made the statement. <laughs> that as I've watched how the church of Jesus has responded universally during times of COVID, I, I feel like I've come to a new conclusion. And that if you're serious about being transformed... If you're serious about becoming like Jesus, if you're serious about growing and thriving, especially in a culture that's increasingly hostile, it is not enough to come to church on the weekend and to be in your life group. That we have got to learn how to develop this one-on-one relationship with Jesus. We've got to learn and I wrote, it's a learning process. We can start slow and all that. It's great. But here's what I, I believe in the days ahead, it will not be ahead, it will not be enough for you to lean on other people for your spiritual growth. That you have to learn how to access that living water on your own. You have to learn how to hear the voice of Jesus on your own. Your mind will not be renewed simply by coming on the weekends and going to your life group. These are two critical components, but it's the synergy of the third that makes it all work, you see? And so I wanna challenge, can I tell you something? That when people ask me, how are you doing? It's always hard to know how to answer that question. If someone asks, hey, what's the last year and a half been like? I will tell you this, it's by far the hardest era to do ministry in my entire life. And can I tell you something? I do not know a single pastor who would disagree with that. 
It has been an incredibly hard time as, as, as we've seen. It's not just COVID, and it's not just racial tensions, and it's not just politics. It's all the above as this culture processes it and tears Christians apart and division in the church. And can I tell you something? That during this last year and a half, the Lord keeps calling me closer. And my time with him has become more and more important. And can I tell you this? If it wasn't for that time, I don't think I'd still be standing here today. It's these times with, can I tell you how many times my heart has been tarassoed deeply? And how many times I've had to go with him one-on-one to have him lift my eyes and to say, hold on to your heart. Do not let your heart be troubled. Remember who you are. Remember who I am. Remember where we're going. Remember the story that you're telling, that I am with you. I will walk with you. This can be your finest hour. Well, men and women, that's not just for me. That's for you. That's for you. So in the past, maybe we could coast a little bit. I'm telling you, this era we're going into, we're going into battle. And we had better get geared up. We had better get geared up. We better better learn how to buckle on that belt of truth. We better learn how to lift that shield of faith. We better learn how to put on that helmet of salvation. We better learn to go deep in the gospel of peace that's on our feet. We better hold hard to our sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. We better learn to pray at all times, in all seasons, for all reasons, and in every way by the Holy Spirit. We've got to learn. What has got us here will not get us there. Men and women, we want to be a center for the kingdom here at Rocky Peak. And for that to happen, we have all got to step up our game. And that comes as we learn to listen to the voice of Jesus that says, do not be terrific. Trust in God. Trust in me. Focus on the future. Listen to my voice. I'll be with you every step of the way. But it won't be easy. And so the question I have is when and where are you listening for the voice of Jesus in your life? Amen? Let's pray. So Father, we come and we we realize we're at a cultural crossroads or perhaps even... Uh, past that, that we're, we're heading down a path that uh, looks increasingly challenging. And so, Lord, even as, as you were telling them, here's how you move forward. Here's the path forward in this moment of crisis. Father, I, I believe these, these passages we're studying in this series, and we're going to be studying, they're showing us the path forward. They're, they're showing us how to win. And so, Father, we pray that As we go week by week in this series, we pray that you'd strengthen our hearts, you'd speak to us by name, and we'd hear your voice saying, take courage. Do not be afraid. I'm with you every step of the way. Do not let your heart be troubled. Trust in God. 
trust also in me. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.